Christmas is on its way. I mean, Christmas is happening, right? And for me, I'm always like, I just wish there was more time because for me, I have one primary responsibility at Christmas and that is to buy one gift. My wife takes care of all the gifts because she loves to do that. I need to buy one gift and that's for my wife, Tina. And Tina does not like gifts. So I'm always in this dilemma. I could buy her the most expensive thing and she's like, eh, if it wasn't on sale, I don't like it. That's kind of who she is. Are you married to anybody like that? Yeah, it's so frustrating. So I wish we had more more time to figure out Christmas. On the contrary, if you have children, especially young children, Christmas cannot come soon enough, right? I mean, you remember being a kid and it was like three weeks out and you counted the days, but you didn't count the day that you were on or the day of Christmas because it made the days in between shorter because you just wanted Christmas to get here. And then you had that terrible experience at Christmas Eve. Because you went to bed and you were so excited for the next morning, but you couldn't sleep and it felt like it was going to take forever for Christmas to get here. It was just a terrible wait. But there was always that promise of Christmas morning. And, And here's what I love about that idea, is the promise of Christmas morning always came, didn't it? No matter how terrible the wait is, no matter how long it took, the promise of Christmas morning always Came. And this has been a theme around Christmas for 2,000 plus years. That it's a waiting game. But the promise of Christmas would eventually come. Now you need to know this. 2,000 years ago, when the original Christmas happened, there was a whole generation that was waiting on Christmas. But they weren't waiting on Santa. And they weren't waiting on white elephant gifts and no presents. They were waiting on a Messiah. A promised Messiah that would come to this planet and help us navigate through our sin, our mess, and our captivity. And the Jewish people, the Israelites, had been waiting for centuries, for 2,000 years. In fact, they waited for four to 700 years where it was quiet. And God, who'd been so active throughout history, was quiet. And in the waiting for God to show up and send his son, um, so many people of the Israelite faith and the nation of Israel, their faith faded and they drifted away in other directions. But there was always this group. This is important for us. There was always this group who remained faithful, a remnant who would hang on. And we're so fortunate today as we kind of launch into the Christmas season together. By the way, I'm so glad to see all of you here. It's really encouraging to have you all here because a year ago, none of you were in this room. And so I'm so glad you're all here and online. I just want to say it one more time. But we get to read about this because a man named Luke sat down and he wrote a thorough account. He investigated the story of Christmas and the rest of the Jesus story. And gave us a documented historical detail of how it works. And the story of Luke, as he tells it today, matters for some of you so much. Maybe all of you. Because at some point, some point in your faith journey, some point in following Jesus, some point in being a Christian, you're going to run into a place where God's quiet. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where God doesn't seem to be doing anything And you need God to do everything. That that point where things are falling apart, things aren't going the way you wish they were, things are just harder than they've ever been, and you've prayed and you asked God, and you would say, well, I didn't ask God enough or whatever, but he, he didn't respond, and it feels like God's inactive. And you come to the point where you ask yourself, and you ask your spouse, and maybe you ask God, why am I even trying Why am I attending? In fact, some of you are back in church today because you kind of had this conversation with God and I need you to know it's okay. We're just glad you're here. 
Why do I keep serving? Why do I keep sacrificing? Why do I keep obeying? I mean, I keep obeying God and you're not doing what I want you to do. I keep obeying. I keep hanging in there. I keep staying married, even though it's hard to be married. And I don't see you doing anything on my behalf. Why do I even believe? And we all get to this point and we ask this question, why? Why am I doing this? Because this is not just about karma. We don't really believe in karma. Do good things and good things happen in that kind of way. We don't really believe in that. We don't believe this whole faith thing is a a rabbit's foot. But we ask the question, and we never say this out loud because most of us were trained too well as Christian people, but some of you weren't, so you're honest, which I really appreciate about our church. What am I getting out of this? I mean, I'm showing up and I'm serving and I'm being faithful and I'm loving my spouse. I even, you know, I'm kind of financially generous, but why am I doing any of this? And we wouldn't, most of us wouldn't admit that, but have you ever thought that? What am I getting out of this? What's the payback? And if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever felt that tension, that frustration, that anger, here's what you need to know. Christmas is for you. The story of Christmas represents you and I so well in this season. And we're going to read about two people today and the key figures of the Christmas story, or the early Christmas story, that help us understand how God works in the middle of all of this. So we go to Luke and his writing. Remember, Luke didn't just write a story. It wasn't just the whole Bible. He wrote a historical document. It was named Luke. They weren't real creative back then, 2,000 years ago. So they just named his book after him. But he writes this historical document. Look how Luke starts out in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. This is in the Gospels. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books in the New Testament, if you want to find this later. Luke says, in the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Now just pause there, because this is worth acknowledging. This is not a once upon a time in a land far, far away. This is like historical. King Herod, in a certain time in Judea, there was a man, priest, named Zechariah. He's the first character in this amazing story we read today. Who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, And his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. In other words, these are two people that are married, but they're like preacher's kids. They're kind of like my kids, but from a long line of priests. That'd be priest after priest after priest. And these were two really good people that found each other and lived their lives together. And we would understand that they're kind of doing life right. They're following even when it's hard to follow. Look at what we're told by Luke. Both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Now this is an important thing. As Luke writes this down, and he describes these two wonderful people to us, he would say they're living right, and they're getting it right. As far as I can see the way they portrayed their lives, they lived in the right place with God is pretty interesting. And then he goes on, not just that. He said they live righteous in the sight of God, observing, this is huge, all the Lord's commands and all, and all the decrees blamelessly. From Luke's perspective, he would say they were doing it all perfect and all right. Now, they weren't doing it all perfect because none of us can, but they were getting as right as they possibly could. And this is really important because this was a hard time to follow God. And they weren't just getting the Ten Commandments right. They were getting the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws and rules right that, that had been laid out by people like me, sometimes unnecessarily But this is tough because they're doing this in a time when God had been silent for hundreds of years. And you get this, right? There's all these things to try and do and get better at. But when you don't see God doing anything, it's like this is really, really difficult. Nothing 
Yet they believed that the Christmas story was coming, even though there was no evidence of the Christmas story about to happen. On top of that, this is what Luke tells us, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. I was almost hesitant to talk about this this morning because I know that this is such a hard, sensitive topic for so many people. And maybe you felt this tension. You've tried to have children and you can't. It's not working out and your heart's broken and you prayed and you just try to say, God, what are you doing? And you're going to show up and you're going to do for me what you've done for so many other people. You need to know that this precious woman, Elizabeth, she served God. She obeyed the laws and God didn't do what she asked him to do. And here's the other tough part. At this time in history, if you could not conceive a child, it was always blamed on the women, mainly because people were stupid 2,000 years ago, kind of like they are now sometimes. But it was always the woman's fault. And God had cursed her and God had decided that she was not a righteous person or she was not a good person and they couldn't have a baby because it was her fault. And so she carried this weight and this heaviness of I'm a disgrace, I'm a failure of shame and you know, just guilt in her life goes on to say they were not able to conceive and they were both very very old now think about being very old and still praying these prayers desperate prayers of God would you just give us a child and the answer seemingly was no God we would love a child so much and we just take care of him we teach him your decrees and your ways and we'd be great parents no God I no and that's all they felt like they heard shame and pain of two faithful people that followed God. And the reason they followed God, and the reason the Israelites followed God for so many thousands of years was because there was an amazing promise given to a gentleman named Abraham. Now, you probably know who he is. If you do not, you just need to know that Abraham it was like the father of the Jewish faith, the father of the nation of Israel, father kind of, of our faith, because that's where Christianity was kind of born out of. And Abraham was this man that God approached, and he said to Abraham, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. Just this lowly man and his wife, well, he was in the same place that Elizabeth and her husband were, where they didn't have any kids, and all of a sudden God grew their family at an old age where they would just begin to multiply and multiply. And that actually happened. That promise came true. God told Abraham that I will bless you and I will make your name great. That actually happened, and here's how we know this. We still know Abraham's name all these thousands of years later. That happened, so that promise came true. But this is where it starts to break down because God said to Abraham, you, you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And that happened and then it kind of stopped happening. And God said to Abraham, Abraham, I will curse those who curse you. And that happened for a little while. But now as Zechariah and as Elizabeth are living their righteous lives before God, now they're under the oppression of Rome. They are literally slaves in their own country. Well, wait a minute, God, I thought you said you'd curse those who curse us, but we're slaves. What are you doing, God? And God, you don't seem like you're doing anything. And then they told Abraham, God told Abraham, all people on the earth will be blessed through you. And this was the root idea. And what happened for Abraham, if you don't know, this is a little bit of a quick run through of the Old Testament or the ancient Hebrew scriptures. Abraham had a son named Isaac and he had a son named Jacob and their families grew and the nation grew. And then you may even know the name David or King David. 
And God told, you know, the nation of Israel, you don't want a king, but they asked for one anyway. And they got David and he was a mighty king and a man after God's own heart. He made lots of mistakes, but man, he, he led so well in so many different ways in, in, in light of some of his incredible slip ups. His name, his son's name was Solomon. He built this massive, beautiful, impressive temple where God actually dwelt. And the temple was the center of the Jewish community, the nation of Israel, where God would meet with people. And they knew God was with them because of this beautiful, incredible temple. And then things started to go sideways after Solomon. The nation of Israel split. And 25 times after that, it changed oppressors of other nations. 25 times. And maybe the worst thing that ever happened to the nation of Israel in 65 BC, Pompey the Great rushes into Jerusalem and he conquers Jerusalem. God's people, God's chosen, the people that God said, I will be with you. And he conquers Jerusalem. He rides to the center of the city. He takes his horse on horseback and he rides the horse right into that temple that Solomon built right into this place called the Holy of Holies that they believed God actually dwelt. And no one could enter the Holy of Holies except a priest once a year who was consecrated and you know, did all the right things. And Pompey the Great, he rides his horse right into the Holy of Holies and nothing happened. And he mocks God and nothing happens. And he rides out and he declares, where is this great God of yours? Because he's nowhere to be seen. Can you imagine where you would be if you were a priest or a priest's wife, or just a person in Israel at that time. And you'd ask this question, what we all ask when it comes to our faith, why am I doing this? I'm working so hard, I'm giving so much, I'm trying to obey. Why, I am, why am I doing this? Now here's the interesting part. Zechariah, who we've been reading about, his dad most likely would have been a priest at that time. He might have been in Jerusalem at that time and witnessed Pompey doing this. And I imagine that Zachariah saw his own priestly father come home and tear his robe. That's what they would do when they were in anguish or in grief. Tear his robe and cry out to God, God, why aren't you doing anything in silence? And this is why right before Jesus showed up on the planet, so many people had given up. So many people had turned away. This is maybe why you feel like, man, maybe I just ought to quit coming, quit believing, quit trying. But you're here because you're hanging on to something. Here's what you need to know. Zachariah and Elizabeth, this precious couple who were too old to have children. If you would approach them and say, hey, you guys ought to give up. You guys ought to quit on what you believe. God's not coming. God's not showing up. It's not going to work out. You should just cash it all in and just go live for yourselves. If you told that to them, you'd be wrong. You'd be dead wrong because Luke is about to introduce us to something that's brand new and is so much better than old temples and old priests, something that's fresh and brilliant and full of God's love and his presence. And it would be his son, Jesus. And we're just going to we're just going to dip into the story this morning to get us going into the Christmas season. In light of all that, all that disappointment, all that heartache, this is what Luke tells us. He tells us that once, when Zachariah's division, the priestly division, was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. Okay, so Zachariah, he's still showing up. God's not showing up, but he's still showing up. He's faithful. He's looking to heaven, wondering, God, are you ever going to come? But he's there, and he's trying to do the right thing, like some of you are trying so hard right now. 
Here's what we're told. He, Zachariah, was chosen by lot, which means they literally rolled some dice to choose who would get to do this really cool thing. According to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So there's 23 large groups of priests, right? And so every year, one would have to go into the Holy of Holies and take care of the incense and burn the incense. I read this one time to some friends in college, and they said, what were they burning incense for? This is a true story. Were they in there smoking doobies? Somebody actually said that, like, what, what are they in there burning incense for? Sorry, that just always comes to mind every time I read that passage of Scripture. And so you would go and take care of your priestly duties. And it was once-in-a-lifetime honor that you'd get to do this. So if you rolled the dice and your name came up as you cast lots, you got to go into this place where God dwelt. And even though that whole thing with Pompeii happened 65 years earlier, they still believed God was doing something in there. And it was honor and it was a privilege and it was terrifying, right? Because you had to go where God and his holiness was. Luke tells us this, and when the time for the burning of incense came, all assembled worshipers we're praying outside. And here's why they were praying. Because we're sending one of our own into this holy of holies. And his, his life may be snatched from him. He may see the very glory of God. And it's raw and unencumbered power. And it may just kill him. It, it was a terrifying and an honoring experience. Because the raw holiness of God, if you've ever thought about this, is terrifying. Us lowly messed up people standing in the presence of a holy God should scare us to death, but it's also why we should embrace Jesus with all that we have. So Zechariah, he goes into this temple and he goes way down deep into the Holy of Holies, past some curtains, past some doors, and he gets in there. And Luke tells us then, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And I've been reading this all week, and I don't know how to read this in a way that stirs up the impact that it should 700 years, God's done nothing as far as something they could see. He was inactive as far as what they could see. And then in this moment, this old man who has no kids sees the angel of the Lord because it appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Zachariah's just in there doing his thing. He's just being faithful. He's just obeying. He's just serving. He's just being responsible. And supernatural shows up. It's past logic. It's past what's rational. It's past what makes sense. But it happens and Luke writes it down. It's way past practical. It's supernatural. And this is what we're told. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. Which of course he was startled, right? It's like you want to say to Luke, no kidding, Luke. Yeah, we get it. And he was gripped with fear. And you'd be gripped with fear too if you saw the glory in the presence of God. His power. I love this word that one of my sons and I have been talking about a lot lately, his transcendence, that thing that is bigger than us, that's bigger than just our own little circumstances, something that is beyond us. And here's what I would tell you if you're trying to figure out faith. We really believe that there's a transcendent God. There's an other. There's all of us, and then there's an other that's bigger and more beautiful and more radiant than us. And the angel says to Zechariah, the standard angel response that you should say if you're an angel when a human being sees you. He says, but the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. You see, we think of angels, and I love this thought, we think of angels as these pretty little decorations we hang on our tree, right? Angelic little beings that pray like this and pray for you and pray for me. Peaceful. 
gentle. But when you read the scriptures, when you see the roles of what some of these angels did, I mean, it's, it's a little bit terrifying. And not only that, Zechariah is literally seeing the presence of God. And now here's the good part for Zechariah. He's a good man. He's doing all the right things, Luke tells us. He's kind of living in a righteous life. If I see that angel in that moment, I'm just going to start confessing my sins. All right, God, I ate three donuts this morning. I should only had one, right? I drank a little too much last night. I looked at some stuff on TikTok. You just start going through the list of all the things that you shouldn't have done because now you're standing in the presence of holiness. Now, here's a side note. If ever, just, just a little thing to remember, if ever, you feel close to God and in that same moment you feel guilty, here's the beauty of Jesus. We'll talk more about this in the next couple weeks. Here's the beauty of Jesus. You have the opportunity to offer that stuff to God and not be cast out or not be banished or not be destroyed, but to be forgiven. And I want you to know this, whether you're online or you're in the room right now, that if you're here and you feel guilty and you feel like, oh, I don't belong, that's not true. You could not be in a better place. But if you feel that, you just get to say, God, you get to take my sin. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It goes on. But the angel of the Lord said to him, don't be afraid, Zachariah. And I love this so much. Your prayer has been heard. Now, it's worth pausing for a minute and acknowledging for most of us, maybe all of us, and certainly for a few of you in a very intense part of your life right now, would say, I'd get in, give anything to hear God say that. I would even take a little mini-me angel that wasn't so shiny, wasn't so bright, just to say, God has heard your prayer. But this is where we get to stand on the shoulders of people that came before us that would say, hey, I know it doesn't seem like God's heard your prayer. And I know you're praying. Just know that God has heard your prayer. And he's working out something that's beyond what you can see right now. Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son and you will call him John. And if you don't know this, this is John, like famous John the Baptist. And this is where the whole story of Jesus begins because John would go ahead of Jesus and prepare the way. He says, you're gonna have a son, his name is John. And he will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. Now I want to say this because this is an important note. You just need to know that John, he was a joy and delight, but John the Baptist was a weird dude. When you read the scriptures, he was a weird dude. He ate locusts and honey and wore camels. He was strange, right? And yet God says, the angel says to Zechariah, he'll be a joy and delight. And I just want you to know, if you have a son or a daughter, that is out of hand sometimes, is a little too crazy, and a little too wild, and you're like, God, can you use them? Just so you know, God used John the Baptist. He can use your crazy kids. So just be encouraged by that. I just thought that was worth saying. By the way, my family thought Matt is never gonna stay out of jail growing up. So that's what my family thought about me, and here I am getting to do this. So, um, so if you have one, just be encouraged. And it says four. Four, he'll be a joy in your life. Four, he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. Isn't that great? He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. I have to pause and just say, this was for John, not all of you. So men, you don't need to get up and run out the back door. You're okay. Just, everything's fine. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even before he's born, which is a unique thing to be filled with God's Spirit before you're even born. Many, we're told, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. 
And why would many people need to come back in Israel? Why would many people need to come back in our world? Because so many had abandoned their faith. So many Israelites had decided, God, you've been too silent, too long. You've been too inactive. And I've given up 700 years and 400 years of silence. The fairy tale is over. But John is going to help bring them back as he ushers in Jesus and prepares the way. Look at this. He goes on to say, and he, John, will go on before the Lord in spirit and in power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people. I love this so much. Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is a promise For every parent in here that's still praying for your kids, that you're hoping they'll turn back to God, this is a promise that God is preparing a way. For every adult child who's praying for their parents that they'd come to find the same love and forgiveness you find, this is a promise that it can happen. This is John's purpose. This is what John would do. Their son would do with, their li- with his life. But there's a problem, and Zechariah identifies the prime problem because he asks the angel, how can... I be sure of this. I am an old man. And then there's this long pause and he looks around and makes sure no one else is in the temple. No one else is listening. And very gently, this old wise man who's been married for a very long time says quietly, and my wife is well along in years. Don't tell anybody I said that. Don't, don't whisper, because if, if Elizabeth founds that, she's going to kill me. And I, I think every time this gets read somehow out loud that in heaven, Elizabeth smacks Zachariah right in the side of the head. That's just my theory, right? Angel, it's good to see you. I'm so glad your presence is here. I'm so glad you've shown up on God's behalf. But I, I've got to tell you, you've said this. You're too late. I'm too old. Too many mistakes, too many missed opportunities, too much wasted time, this and this and this. It can't happen. Angel, if you'd have shown up in our 30s when we prayed so hard for a son or a daughter, it would have been great. If you'd have shown up in our, maybe even in our 50s, it would have been okay. But you and God, who we're, we're still following, we still, we, we got it, we're still obeying, but you're too late, and I love this next part. So I love this, and maybe for some of you, this is why you came today. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I don't know if you know this, but I'm Gabriel, and I represent something bigger than you. Look what Gabriel says. I stand in the presence of God. I don't know why this is so emotional for me, but I stand in the presence of God. I know you think your circumstances are bigger than you. I stand in the presence of something that is way bigger than you and your circumstances. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. I'm Gabriel, and I spend my time in God's glory. And if you don't think God can overcome the fact you got a few too many years on your age, you've missed God. And I bring you good news. I need to say this because this is super important. If ever you think about God coming into your life, if ever you think about Jesus chasing after you, if ever you think about turning towards Jesus and you feel like it's bad news, you've got the wrong message. 
If ever you think that Jesus showed up on the planet to convince you that you're going to hell and not that he loved you and wanted to bring you into heaven, you're looking at the wrong way. We believe there's a consequence for sin and that is totally true. But the presence of Jesus in this world was good news. And too many yahoos like me have stood up on stage and they presented this as bad news. This is the best news of our entire lives that God has come. And the angel says, and now, and now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happened because you did not believe my words, little consequence for not believing, which will come true at their appointed time. And I just need to say this. This appointed time is a really big phrase that we do not have time to get into today. Because remember, God had been silent for 400 years, pretty much inactive for 700 years, but he never was without a time he was going to do something. He always had a plan. And people didn't understand it, and they couldn't figure it out, but God had a time marked on the calendar. And it was the time that would be best for everyone, including Zachariah and Elizabeth. And if you wonder, God, do you know? I would just tell you God's got appointed times for things to happen. And it's a bigger plan than maybe your plan. But he never, ever, ever has or will quit on you. Love this. Meanwhile, this is the rest of the story. The people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he'd stayed in there so long in the temple. Like, he's only supposed to go and light a few incense and straighten a few things up. He's been in there for a really long time. Coffee breaks over. Where is he? And when he came out, had this incredible interaction that I actually wish Luke would give us a little more detail on. He could not speak to them, like the angel had said. And they realized he had, not, he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the time of service was complete, like when his, this season was over, he returned home. And in my notes, I put, to his old wife. I just put that in because I thought I'd be reminded of this. Here's the rest of this part of the story. After this, his wife Elizabeth, she became pregnant. And I also put in my notes, I'm glad Luke didn't give us any details about that. I didn't want to think about that. That'll be funny on the way home, just so you know. Um, so she became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. This is where it goes. This, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. What's beautiful about that is this is just a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us. Take away our disgrace. Take away our shame. Take away our sin and bring us forgiveness. But here's the beautiful part of this. The story is just warming up. This is just a foreshadow. This is just a glimpse of what was about to happen of God being faithful to a generation after generation after generation that had lost their hope Generation after generation that had watched their relatives and their family members and people they love be born into this world and die without seeing God being active. But in this moment, they realize God is still going to save the day and the day has finally come and every nation would be blessed. And this is where the story begins because right after this, this is what Luke tells us. And this is so exciting. I hope you come back next week as we continue this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, the very same angel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin. Next slide. Pledged to be married to a man named 
Joseph. And this is where the story for some of you gets a little more familiar. A descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. This is our dilemma right here. Do we trust the next part of the story? And this is all of our dilemma. You're in a season right now where maybe it's just hard and you're like, do I, do I stop believing? Do I stop obeying? Do I stop serving? Do I stop showing up? Again, you're looking at your spouse and he just drives you crazy. Do I stay in this marriage? Do I keep my integrity? Because integrity is hard. And you've tried to have integrity in your life and honesty, but it's really costing you something. And you see other people that don't have integrity and have honesty. You're like, God, is this worth it? Do I keep moving on? You're a freshman in college and you're like, is this worth it? You're, You're a junior in high school. You're a seventh grader. You're 51 years old like me, and you're like, okay, this is a hard struggle, God, to stay on this path, and the path is not always easy. Is it worth it? I just want you to know, if you've ever asked that question, you're not abnormal. You're not way off. You're asking a question I think almost every person that's followed God has ever asked. I just want to remind you that Christmas, Christmas reminds us of our faithful God. That Zechariah and Elizabeth, they trusted God in spite they didn't see him coming. But when they saw him, they went, oh, that's it. And I would just tell you, if you're asking that question, and it's hard right now for you, whatever your thing is, your faith's not misplaced. You do not believe in vain. You have not obeyed for no reason. God is working and is active. And someday I believe that you will look back and go, ah, that's where it was. I'm so thankful. And if you're here, you're trying to investigate faith and you're asking hard questions. Should I come back? Should I believe? Should I trust the scriptures as we read them together? I just want you to know you're surrounded by people that would say it's absolutely worth it. And I want you to know that God blesses the faithful. I just believe that in his own special way. And he loves those that are not faithful. Because if he didn't, he would not love people like me because I am not faithful all the time. But your faith... Your faith is not in vain. So don't quit. You keep loving, you keep serving, you keep forgiving, you keep praising, you keep singing, you keep reading, and know that it is not in vain because you have a God that has your name on his calendar and he is working in all things just like he was in Zachariah and Elizabeth's life. And make sure you come back next week as we continue this amazing Christmas story. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful we get to read these words that Luke wrote down. And we get to treasure them and hold them in our hearts, God, as we see you working in our world. And I just pray for the people that they do feel like it's quiet. They do feel like they're having trouble seeing you. I pray that They would have a deeper sense of faith and trust as they walk out of here today and give them the strength to keep following in every way they can. For the people that have come today or watching online, they're asking, is this worth pursuing? Is Jesus worth following? I I pray that you'd become real to them in the only way you can, Jesus. And we thank you for coming to this world and bringing heaven to us and loving us so well and giving us hope. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.